It's home dunk. What a day we have for you today. We're going to talk to the very funny actor, Nate Cordry, about baseball. And we're going to have the next round of the Tournament of Names in the NFL. See which mascot emerges victorious in a make-believe battle to the death. It's all coming up on Home Dunk. I hit a home dunk. I wish that you would show Scoring the slam run on uh, making the hat soup or whatever it is you need to do in the world of sports. Hello, I'm John Moe. This is Home Dunk. Um, had a lovely tweet the other day from my friend Ira Brooker uh, here in the Twin Cities who said that he was glad that I was doing this show uh, at this moment of crisis in sports, how it's perfectly timed because you need an agonized public radio host uh, to really guide you through the world of sports. Oh, in simpler days, Jim McKay or Howard Cosell might have done, but no longer. No, now uh, now we need me and my tortured, tortured brain. Um, so it's been uh, it's been another week of recovering from uh, from the various. NFL fiascos, fiasci. Uh, there was the Roger Goodell press conference, which uh, just made my brain hurt because it's it's so distressed. It's like Ebola. It's, it's seeing something so powerful and uncontained that you don't know how it's going to go away. And uh, so I just hope that somehow the CDC drops some uh, antibiotics or medicine into NFL headquarters and... Uh, and does something about about the Goodell outbreak. Um, but you know what? There is hope. There is joy to be had in the world of sports. There is intrigue and happiness because one of my favorite all-time NBA players is back in the news. That's right, Darko Milicic, former NBA center, number two overall pick in the 2003 draft from the Detroit Pistons uh, and from Serbia, Darko Milicic is changing careers. He is going to become a kickboxer. Remember, Lloyd Dobler in the movie Say Anything said that kickboxing was the sport of the future, and uh, and now it's happening. Uh, Darko is expected at the Falkensteiner Hotel in Belgrade, where he will sign a contract with the World Association of Kickboxing Organizations, or WACO, W-A-K-O, WACO, uh, and yeah, they were, they're going to announce his first match, and apparently he's been training for a while. He's been, for the last year and a half since he washed out with the Celtics, uh, he's been training and uh, getting ready and being an eye of a tiger, Darko Milicic. 
and he's back in the news. Now, why do I love Darko Milicic? Well, I love sports in many ways. And one of the biggest ways I love sports is unrealized potential. Because, okay, now we have Derek Jeter in the news a lot because he's winding down his career with the Yankees and he's touring around to all these ballparks and everyone's giving him, you know, a rocking chair or a stuffed marlin or a million bees. I, I might not be exactly accurate on what the different teams are giving him, but everybody loves Derek Jeter. And I am of the camp that Derek Jeter was pretty good, but benefited greatly from being with the New York Yankees. Other people say, oh, no, he was he was fantastic. And even if he had played for the Royals, he would be just as fantastic. I'm dubious. But the point is, Derek Jeter is celebrated and beloved because things worked out well. But what kind of story is that? Like, here comes a hero and the hero succeeds. That is a boring story. And that's... I am in sports for the stories. I am in sports for the the intrigue. And that's why I love Darko Milicic. Okay, 2003 draft. Here's how it went down in case you've forgotten. Number one pick, LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers. That's worked out well. Possibly the greatest player of all time. Certainly a Hall of Famer. Number two, Darko Milicic from Serbia and Montenegro. Uh, formerly of the team Hemofarm Versak. Number three pick in that draft, Carmelo Anthony to the Denver Nuggets. Number four pick, Chris Bosh to the Toronto Raptors. Number five pick, Dwayne Wade to the Miami Heat. So of those first five picks, you arguably have four Hall of Famers. And then you have Darko. And it just never worked out. It just never worked out. He went to the Pistons, and his coach was Larry Brown, and a lot of people say that Larry Brown ruined him. Larry Brown's an old-school coach, has been around forever, coached everybody, coached cavemen, coached Charlemagne and Napoleon in their day. And Larry Brown, being old-school, does not believe in playing rookies or giving them any kind of meaningful time. So Darko goes to the Pistons, gets buried on the bench, and then uh, gets sullen and brooding and his work habits uh, falter after a while. So when he is called in, he's no good and he struggles. And 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 his name, his name is Darko. I, I, maybe that's what makes me love him all the more because you know it's not going to work out. You've got a surly Serbian moving to Detroit and then you just hope things are going to be great. And uh, and that's not the storyline. So it's unrealized potential. And he and he plays in Detroit for a while, and he bounces around. He's here in Minnesota with the Timberwolves for a brief time, and has his best career year where he scores like eight points a game, or or something tragic like that. And then he, he ships off to Boston, and then he washes out of the league. And everybody thought that Darko, like Detroit, wasn't wrong to take Darko number two. I mean, you could argue Carmelo Anthony. Uh, even in that draft was probably a better prospect. Maybe they should have taken Carmelo. Uh, but most draft experts in 2003 had Darko ranked above people like Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade and Chris Kamen, who was drafted number six, or Kirk Heinrich, who was drafted by the Bulls at number seven. Um, people, they, they weren't completely crazy for doing that pick, but it just didn't work out. And that, to me is a real storyline. You've got, I, I don't know that he's a chain smoker. I just, I just like to visualize this seven foot one angry young Serb named Darko 
uh, wandering around Detroit, chain-smoking cigarettes and cursing his fate. Now, if he had been a wonderful player and a wonderful guy, then it probably would have worked out. And it wouldn't have mattered if it was Detroit or if he had to wait a couple of years. Lots of good players in lots of different sports uh, wait a couple of years in their rookie and sophomore seasons before they get good. And, and his talent would have would have come out. But uh, that's not the way it worked. And I am fascinated by that. And there's there's all sorts of people like that. Hashim Tabit, who was uh, drafted a couple years ago, is barely in basketball anymore. He was the number two overall pick, just like Darko. There was Yi Jianlan, who was from China. And people were expecting him to be the next Yao Ming. But all he was was very, very tall in Chinese. And that doesn't make you Yao Ming, it turns out. There was, there was pre-draft video of him uh, doing his offensive moves, sort of a pick-and-roll kind of thing, around a chair. And so since the other teams don't have chairs on their squad, they have humans, then, then it didn't work out so well for Yi Jin Lan. And you could go down the list. There's Christian Leitner, who arguably one of the, the better college basketball players of all time at Duke, and was on, a lot of people don't remember this, was on the 1992 Dream Team, the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, John Stockton team. Their last player on the bench was college player, not yet pro Christian Leitner. And uh, I think he made an all-star game with the Hawks, but just another kind of guy who just seemed too surly and just didn't just didn't work out the way people expected. Adam Morrison, I, you know, a lot of people are cheering for him to fail. I kind of feel bad because I think he was injured. Johnny Flynn, I, I'm fascinated by Johnny Flynn. I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite players, but he's one of the more intriguing players to me because he went from top five draft pick to washout in the NBA playing, I believe, in Australia within like three or four years. He was here with the... The Timberwolves, they drafted him the same year they drafted Ricky Rubio because they knew that Rubio wasn't going to come to America anytime soon. So they draft Johnny Flynn out of Syracuse. And I start following him on Twitter right away because I'm interested in what the new player in town has to say. And I notice that all he, all he tweets about, all he ever talks about, even after the season starts, is Syracuse basketball, his college basketball team. Barely anything about the professional team that is playing that is paying him to play basketball. No, he's just he's boasting about how great Syracuse is. He's reacting to Syracuse games. Finally, one day, I uh, tweet reply to Johnny Flynn. I say, maybe you should start focusing on Minnesota Timberwolves games instead of so much college games. College is is over, and uh, Johnny Flynn then tweets back angrily at me and says, you're a joke, and uh, gets very defensive and spells your Y-O-U-R, which is incorrect spelling, Johnny Flynn. And I'm just fascinated by, by guys like that who it's supposed to work out and it just doesn't. That, to me, is the essence of sports. It's uh, it's the Johnny Flynn's. It's Derek Williams. It's Hashim Tabit. And, uh, and I'm just I'm intrigued when that story continues kickboxing kickboxing Darko's just gonna <laughs> seven foot one Darko Milicic is just gonna start kicking dudes in the head in Serbia and I think that is just wonderful it doesn't cure the phenomenal uh inherent rottenness that is sports 
sports fans, uh, but it is something to follow. Um, it's it's more like it. I like sports when it becomes more like a Raymond Carver story, I guess, than when it's like uh, a heroic story of everything working working well. I've read more Raymond Carver stories than I have uh, Superman comics in my day. And that's why I I hereby induct Darko Milicic into the Home Dunk Hall of Fame. First ever inductee. Congratulations, Darko Milicic. I hit a home dunk. Well, we're talking today to a friend of mine, an actor, a Bostonian. His name is Nate Cordry. Now, a lot of people... Uh, see, this is this is how this podcast is different. Nate Cordry played Tom Jeter on the show Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. Remember that? That was the uh, that was the, the the drama about a comedy show that didn't really uh, work out all that well. And um, so, yeah, this is the show that talks about Tom Jeter instead of Derek Jeter. I think uh, you might know Nate from The Daily Show or The United States of Terra or the classic movie, Yogi Bear. Uh, I also wanted to talk to Nate about the Red Sox because uh, the Red Sox have gone from this joke of a team uh, for decades, or at least a joke in the sense that they were constantly failing, to being world champions a few times. And then now this year they suck real bad. So I wanted to get the view of somebody who feels emotions for a living, an actor, and uh, a Boston fan to see what he thinks about that. But before I probe Nate on the mindset of the Boston sports fan, he told me about shooting the movie Yogi Bear with uh, human actors on the set standing in for the animated characters. We shot in New Zealand because we had to shoot in the winter, and it was either that or Australia to shoot like to look like summer in the winter. And the stand-ins for those bears, the guy who played Yogi was a you know super tall person. It was his first job out of drama school to be a stand-in. He'd just stand there and say the line right. and would never be on camera ever. But because he was the quote-unquote, you know, lead of the uh-huh. movie, he started getting a little full of himself <laughs> and they had to fire him because he thought, he started kind of talking down to people and asking for coffees and asking to come in late. He's like, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on, friend. <laughs> You You're are a placeholder for a cartoon. You're actually not in this movie. <laughs> You're, not. You're not even in the movie, tall New Zealander. No, um, no. poor guy. Now you, uh, you're uh, according to the Wikipedia, which is always right. You're from Weymouth, Massachusetts. Yes, Weymouth, Massachusetts, which is about uh, twelve, thirteen miles south of Boston. Yeah, and so I want to. I want your help in understanding the mind of the Boston sports fan because I've always found it. Uh, fascinating and a little uh, a little intimidating because it just it seems to go so far beyond uh, merely I support this team into something much more feral. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have, John. Okay, now uh, so here here's what but I wonder. You think you're better than me? <laughs> now I wonder why the Boston fans seem so miserable. And, and like so defeated when I'm looking at a list of like, okay, Celtics championships, 2008, 1986, 1984, 1981, uh, Patriots, 2004, 
Stanley Cup 2011. But it, all the Boston sports fans I talk to are like, oh, we can never catch a break. Why is that? <laughs> it's hard to answer that question. I think that anyone who has that behavior now is a fool. Okay. And <laughs> uh, before, before 2004, before uh, the Red Sox won, the New England sports story, it wasn't the Celtics winning, you know, 16 titles or 17 then, and, or 11 uh, championships for, for um, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. This is heartbreaking. 11 championships for the Celtics player, coach, tall guy, African-American. Bill Russell? Uh, Bill Russell, good Lord. Um, <laughs> this interview is hey, over, Nate Cordry. See you later. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> Enjoy Yogi Bear. Thanks. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, Bobby Orr and the, the amazing Bruins of the 60s and 70s. The New England sports story was the Red Sox. The yeah. Red Sox were front-page news, not only in, like, July and August. They were front-page news in December. The Boston Red Sox, for some reason, have fascinated that region of the country for 100 years. And I think it has a lot to do with Fenway Park. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they came so close so many times, um, specifically with, with Ted Williams. Ted Williams, we should have won in 40, I think it was 46. Um, but he was hitting the elbow in a, in a game, in a practice game, and had to miss the World Series. Or he played in the World Series, but only, he batted like 107. Uh-huh. Um, we, we, sh- we should have won 75. We lost then, painfully. Um, 86 is a whole other story. Um, And then Pesky held a ball in the 40s when Eno Slaughter should not have scored from first on a single, but he did because, anyway, I can go on and on and on. The way that the Red Sox lost, um, they lost in really kind of creative ways. Uh And so it started to snowball, and we started to believe this bullshit um, that we were cursed that – we would never do it. And I think that trickled in to the other sports. So like a, a sense think, of defeat that that uh, misery was always just around the corner. I also think New England is full of really brilliant minds and really talented writers. Yeah. And when the Boston Globe and when just people from New England start to put it out there, it almost you, you buy into it and it almost becomes fun. <laughs> the pain, because it makes you special. Even though it's about losing, it makes you feel other. It makes you feel different. And yeah. in a world of lame sports fans, you want to hold on to something that makes you different, that makes you <laughs> special. And it's that we always get screwed. And But those days are gone. Those yeah. days are long gone. And it's time to transition to a different sports fandom. But I think a lot of the old-timers are still hanging on to the past. Well, so in 2004, when when the team finally won the World Series, what was that like for you? Like, where were you when that happened, first of all? I happened to be on tour with a play. Um, I had just left town to do this play. Um, I was home for all of the ALCS against the Yankees, and I was living in New York during that series. And I went to Boston with my dad to see the last game that they lost, game three, when they got blown out 19-8. to And my dad and I stayed until the ninth, and we walked out, and it was the quietest 
and saddest feeling I'd ever had in Fenway Park. We didn't even speak. We got into the car. We turned on the radio as soon as we got into the car, and that was the final out of the game. Oh. And I remember the, the play-by-play guy, Joe Castiglione, was like, well, and this one has mercifully come to an end. The Red Sox got destroyed by the New York. And it was like we turned the radio off. We couldn't even talk. <laughs> and then, you know, the Red Sox turned it around, and the rest is history. But uh, I watched all the World Series in New York with all my friends and my brother, and it was just so much fun. We were, we were, it was house money, the fact that we beat the Yankees and made it to the World Series. Yeah. But the actual game that they won the title, game four, I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. <laughs> of all places. And of all, a big Red Sox town. <laughs> and yeah, right. I was on stage doing a tech rehearsal with the cast of this play. I was doing the national tour of The Graduate. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. They did were you Benjamin? Stage- I was playing Benjamin Braddock. Wow. Yes, I had okay. done. I've been the understudy for six months previously, uh-huh. and then I got a chance to play the part. So it was a big job for me. I was the lead of this play, and I was touring around the country for seven months. And my Mrs. Robinson was Morgan Fairchild. Oh my gosh, Morgan, Morgan Fairchild. Fairchild. Yeah, and we're on stage, and it's you know nine thirty or something, whatever time it was, ten o'clock. And we're doing, we're, we're teching. And it's my first tech rehearsal, and I'm the lead of the play. And what I desperately wanted to do, because the, the crew guys were relaying me scores, like they'd come out stage and move a lamp and say, uh, it's uh, 2 nothing. we're in the seventh. <laughs> and, uh, and then we get to the ninth. And every inch of me was saying, Let's go to the stage manager and go, give me 10 minutes. That's all I need. Right. But because it was my first big job, I felt like I, it was my first time rehearsing with Morgan Fairchild. I had to be professional. Yeah. And I had to just stay on that stage and do my job. So I'm acting with her, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the scene, I hear 20 people start screaming, off, and I know <laughs> that they were watching it, and my shoulders slump. And this actress runs on stage. In the middle of our scene, just opens the door of the scene and goes, um, the Red Sox just won the World Series. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Looking at me, and I go, I know. <laughs> and I wasn't able to see it. Oh, God. And it wasn't until a week later that it finally hit me. I was on an airplane, and I was trying to get the emo- I was trying to feel what I should have felt in the moment that they won. And I was reading the Sports Illustrated article that came out the week after, but all the people who kept, who stayed alive on life support to see them win. And then, like, Hundreds of people died the following two or three days because they were waiting for the Red Sox to win the World Series. Right, just once before I died. And I'm on this airplane, and it finally kind of overwhelms me, and I start to weep on this airplane. And my buddy who's in the play with me is sitting next to me. He goes, Cordray, are you okay? And I go, the Red Sox won the World Series! (laughs) (laughs) And that is the end of that story. (laughs) Well, and then how do you... How did you process the team if all you knew was the inevitability of despair as a Red Sox fan? I mean, I went through a little bit of this. I'm from Seattle, and so when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, I I, I can't quite think of the team in the same way anymore. Like, how did that change your fandom? Um, it didn't feel as – it doesn't – people won't say this, but I'll be honest. It, it, uh, it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it's something is lost forever. A feeling 
that anxious feeling that no one wants to feel, but it's fun to feel. You get a little high from that anxiety and that apprehension uh-huh. because you're really invested in something that doesn't matter. Right. These are grown men just playing a game somewhere. They are not part of your life. They yeah. don't know you or care about you at all. It won't affect you your health or your income or anything else. Not an inch. Yeah. And yet you will tie yourself up in knots over all of it. And that was really fun to do. Yeah. And I'll never feel that way. I'll never feel what it felt in 2003 when they played the Yankees and went seven games and Aaron Boone hit that home run. Right. I will never, I don't think I'll ever feel that again. And it was terrible and and brutal, but it was also like, isn't this amazing that a game that strangers are playing 2,000 miles away from where I am right now is affecting me in this way? How, that's just wonderful that it has this kind of power. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't think I'll ever feel that way again. All right, so a quick uh, quick Red Sox lightning round here, Nate, before I let you go. Um, oh. The left field wall, is it called the Green Monster or is it not called the Green Monster? It's called the Green Monster. Okay, you believe in calling it the Green Monster? I do, yeah. Okay. Uh, Roger Clemens, your feelings towards? Uh, <laughs> how much time do you have? Uh, I, um... Ten seconds. I forgive and forget. Okay. Um, Kurt Schilling, feelings regarding? Oh, one of the, the, the best postseason players in Red Sox history. Love Schilling. Was so great in the field. Take a step off the field. He's a total jerk off. <laughs> um, favorite Red Sox pitcher of all time? Bruce Hurst. Favorite Red Sox hitter of all time? Uh, Manny Ramirez. <laughs> Favorite Red Sox manager of all time? John McNamara. <laughs> There's the accent. That's the accent I heard in the heat. That's the Nate Cordry accent from Boston. Well, dude, if we wanted to do this interview later <laughs> when I had four or five beers, I could have done the accent the whole time, dude. Actor, comedian, bon vivant, Bostonian Nate Cordry, thank you so much. Thank you, John. What a pleasure. And then there were eight. We're to the round of eight on the Tournament of Names here on Home Dunk. We're pitting the NFL teams against each other in theoretical battles to the death based on who their team name is, who their mascot is. Uh, we're, we're getting some answers, and a lot of teams are being winnowed uh, down and, it, for symbolic purposes, killed brutally. Uh, I'm joined by Mike Fotis. He's a, an actor and comedian and writer. You've heard him and seen him a lot on Wits. Hello, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Good. And our good friend Peter Clowney, uh, executive producer of Wits and uh, guy who makes decisions. Peter <laughs> is going to be the judge in this. Peter, w- Mike and I are going to make our arguments for the different teams. And then based on how those arguments go, Peter will uh, declare a winner for, for each contest. All right, so we're down to eight teams. Mike, are you ready to go? Yeah, I think so. All right, so uh, our first match is the Titans versus the Lions. 
Uh, didn't Denzel Washington make a movie with Titans? Yeah, it was Revenge it? of the Titans. <laughs> was it yeah. Revenge of yeah, the Titans? Yeah, the Kraken was in it. Yeah. But it involved yeah. football. Clash yeah. of the Titans. Yeah, and so it's actually <laughs> very appropriate that you bring that up now. Yeah, no, I think yeah. it is really appropriate. Yeah. So he won just, three Oscars for that. Yeah, for three for that yeah. movie. Uh, go, Flight, go. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> here's, my th- here's my argument for all this right. one, all right? That movie is a tearjerker. True. It's about sports. It's about bringing us all together. And Denzel Washington makes it happen. He's a titan of the film industry. I What I would do is, before the game started, I would gather all the lions around because everybody knows that lions and really show love them. movies. What is it really called? The turn of the... It's not remember. It's not the remember, remember the yeah. <laughs> you said it a long time ago. <laughs> I almost said, "Hey, the Titans." <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, it's Pat. Hey, when Harry Pat. met Titans. Okay, so, so anyway, remember the Titans. You yeah. show the lions. Remember the Titans. Yeah, then they they'll get all like, weepy. They'll get all weepy, and they'll be like, Arr. off their guard. Yeah, what is happening, guys? We're lions, and we're sad. And then we would just win. We would just win. What ha- they go, right. We're sad. We're sad. And then they go eat. <laughs> that, wow. That yeah. does sound like a lion. Talking lions. <laughs> it does sound like a lion. Themselves All right. So I grant you that Remember the Titans is a tearjerker. But you know what else jerks tears? Lions when they're attacking you with their claws. <laughs> wow. With their terrible sharp claws. They are tearjerkers. They are vein and artery jerkers and major organ jerkers all with their dangerous, terrible claws. I was really worried you were going to go this route because it's pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, your t- battle tactic, and again, as we've established in previous episodes, we're actually going from playbooks. So the strategy that you've put forward is how this battle will go. Yeah. I think the Lions just rip out. You're showing it on a VCR, obviously. <laughs> like yeah, obviously. On the field there. Just tear right through and devour the Titans. There's not, an, there's the not enough actor. action in that movie for lions. They need like yeah. a Jason Statham movie. I think you guys are underselling a lion's patience I, uh, to I let a plot unfold. This, this really surprised me, but I think the lions absolutely Okay, lions, That's a huge upset. Lions yeah. pulled off the upset against the Titans, so now we, uh, we no longer have that Titans-Giants matchup that I was thinking that was on the horizon. Uh, Titans are a lot harder to argue in favor of than you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it a couple of times now, haven't you? I just th- aren't they gigantic and have all the muscles? Yeah. Weren't they like the precursors to the Greek the They're uh, gods almost, the Greek gods, right? yeah. 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 But you you yeah, wouldn't have sure Denzel Washington yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. <laughs> that's, really, that's really hard to stand be, up for. It could be the against the lion. Yeah, it's an innovative offensive strategy <laughs> that is somewhat movies. controversial. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good job with the movie. All right, so now we have the Battle of the Birds. We have the Eagles versus the Falcons. And uh, and Mike, you're taking the Eagles in this, and I'm taking the Falcons. Yeah. You want to go first? Yeah, sure, I do. Okay, so first off, Eagles are very stately. So that has to be there. That has to be a fashion. national wow symbol. Yeah. For the Falcon. Don't you think? Like yeah, the Falcons totally. have to be like, whoa, what are we? The symbol of. <laughs> you know, Ben yeah. Franklin like, wanted our national symbol to be uh, an eagle dressed up as a turkey. Wow, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. In a turkey costume. Little zipper on the. Okay. I just feel like that strengthens my argument even <laughs> That's more. That's the whole thing. Um, my team. Not only we've already established that they fire their beaks and can bring their beaks back, sure. so they're dangerous. They're aggressive. They're dangerous. They're stately, and they they can walk the line of country rock, <laughs> and right. not having it be boring. Wow. I'm just gonna throw that Did out there that too, because I don't okay. think the Falcons are a band. <laughs> No, they're not a band, uh, but I do think claws that shoot out and embed themselves in Glenn Fry could be very, very effective, and I think welcomed by most people. Wow. Uh, Falcons are a a strong bird, a powerful bird, and a bird that uh, has a silly little mask over its head a lot of the time in the sport of falconry. It's true. Um, I think that uh, 
the the Eagles. The okay. Here's another. Here's another thing. Tactic change. Tactic change. I once saw a bald eagle get beaten up by crows. <laughs> I had this. I had a, when I'm I was, sure the bald eagle arrived either drunk. Injured, depressed. No, because bald eagles are idiots is the thing. They're dumb. And, and they're kind of cowardly. And crows are smart and they know how to team up. And bald eagles are kind of more... Well, it's, it's the general plight of the bald. Wouldn't yeah. we agree? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Always being Always beaten up by crows. Yeah, crow, I just want to throw out tact. that aside from this sport, the other sport that falcons like okay. is a game where they fly away... And then they come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, get that's a hood what put they back do. on their head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw that out there. Basically, the only hood that an eagle will allow on his or her head is the one he was born with, right? Mm. Yeah. So I don't. I, the Falcons, they're smaller. They don't. They don't got what it takes, man. Eagles. Eagles win it. Nice. All right. This hit now, Peter. This isn't a Philadelphia thing. No, not at all. Okay. The fix was in, but our like, engineer is also from Philadelphia. Yeah. And so I don't even know. I don't even know what's going to happen to this tape <laughs> if the Eagles don't win. <laughs> All right, moving on. Yeah. Uh, we have the Giants versus the Raiders. All right, the Raiders are a type of pirate. They have swords, and no matter how tall someone is, you can you can cut that. Uh, what's the Achilles tendon? Yeah, like, what's right the name for the Achilles tendon? I forget the name of the Achilles tendon. <laughs> what is that? Jeff. Yeah. Uh, you can cut Jeff, the Achilles tendon, on the back of someone's leg and bring them to the ground. So no matter how tall a giant is, if you've got a sword, whack, whack, whack on the Achilles tendon, you know, sort of the harder fall, they fall. you get the golden goose, Jack's mother is happy, everybody wins. Okay, well, uh, all right, a couple things here. One, we're assuming that an Achilles tendon on a giant is not unbelievably thick. Because so how it tall is. are they again? Are they 90 what? They're 90 yards 90 tall. 90 yards tall, so, uh, which is more than 100 feet if yeah, you convert it. 270 I'm feet. Just hit, yes. Yeah, I'm it's <laughs> unbelievably tall. I'm glad you guys did it because I was like, 1,000? English but, majors. <laughs> <laughs> so that sword is going to get super dull. All right. Yes. Uh, giants. Just hacking and hacking. Yeah. And they're going to get real, real tired. And that's all the giant is waiting for. Well, there is a factor here. We don't actually know the scale of the Raiders in this fight. I think they're, Are they just hum- like, they're human people. They're like five nine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. With one eye each. With one eye each and bad depth perception. And third eye but is. Swords. And they're always on the sea. So they don't. They don't even have their their earth legs. Earth legs. Space Raiders. Yeah, <laughs> Space Raiders. I like to think that and they have parrots, which help a little bit. That they probably do. does help a oh, little I bit. I just this is the this is the biggest. But we're also assuming that whole, yeah, really, uh, is. giants also giants, have parrots. Yeah, okay. the giants. They got it, man. The giants advance, oh. and the Raiders. I love the scale, the size, man. Get squished. I had no idea they were ninety meters tall. Yeah, they're really. They're tall. pretty big. Uh, all right, and then uh, the next matchup is the Bears versus Cowboys. We have the, the Bears taking on the Cowboys here. Um, bears, uh, as I've said in previous installments, Bears are just murder machines. The Grizzlies <laughs> especially, uh, they just they kill because. These just are because. regular bears, regular brained bears. Regular grizzly bears, yes. Not talking, not well, doing math. I mean, bra- there, are other, there are other bears that are less lethal. Your Browns. Your yeah. uh, teddies, but these are the grizzled bears. Yeah, well, I think here's what I think the bears do against the cowboys. It's an all-out assault. Right. It's the grizzly bears with their sharp claws and murderous tendencies, but it's also the gummy bears. And once you start eating gummy bears, <laughs> you can't stop. You just can't stop, and then you feel all doughy and gross. Right, and that's that's all. And your part health of the plan, plan counts your exercises in terms of them. Right, and the teddy so, bear, you know, you stop and cuddle. You maybe lose your aggressive instinct if you're a cowboy. Okay, so it's both the grizzled and the gummy. 
mm-hmm. of bear. Yeah. Okay. Against. So this is a great argument. Like I, I didn't really think about all the different types of bears, and it's that's a good move bringing in the gummies. That's throwing me off just a little bit. But, but your your cowboys also have a blowhole in the top of their head yeah. if they're seafaring, but they yeah. don't really need that here. They don't need them here. So. Great point that you brought that up. Okay. So when they they don't use their blowhole uh, to blow out air on land, right. obviously. Do they, they use could their use nose it? blowholes? Yeah. I was okay. just going to bring that up. That's yeah. amazing you brought that up. So they fire fireworks out of their blowhole and their nose hole. So Whoa. that would distract Three the Three-way fireworks coming from these. Yeah. So it looks really <laughs> nice. And everybody knows bears love that stuff. So <laughs> oh, they're, they're just ch- uh, charmed. Yeah, they're totally they're charmed. They're dazzled. Photos is all yeah, about the dazzle. Yeah. yeah. And then here's the thing I'm going to throw out there, all right? And you got to follow me on Because this. you haven't given us anything surprising yet. <laughs> There's a reason they're called cowboys. So they're dressed like people. But then they they're, unzip their what? skin. And it's cows. Cows. And those cows, at first you're like, cows, they're not dangerous. They killed those dudes. Put on their skin so some of the bears might even bears if i was a bear i'd get out of town dude so does that mean in the ocean they're more like manatees yes that's exactly what it means do the mike i have a question the the cowboys in your in your version (laughs) can they do that thing where they shoot their guns into the ground so much get up off the ground they Mm -hmm. levitate yeah that's well cowboy school that's that's freshman year stuff these cowboys can do so much stuff (laughs) and i asked pointedly do these bears have any other abilities just like your previous answer where people were five nine yeah no no they're just murderous look i'm i'm you have a lot more faith in just the general menace of our world i i'm yeah the menace of the world and the variety of things that we call bear well there are a lot of bears i mean i feel strongly about my argument but that koala bears skunk bears grass bears i think Gasoline bears. I think gas- you know, there are more cowboys. <laughs> gasoline bears. Gasoline bears. But the Healing fire from the bears. cowboys defeats that right away. It's cowboys. Copper nice. bears. It's cowboys. Copper bears. Bug bears. All right. Well, gentlemen, we're down to our final four, and that'll have to wait till the next installment of Home Dunk. But boy, what a contest it's going to be. Our final four teams. We will have the Lions taking on the Eagles. Who would have thought the Eagles would have got this far? I wonder how that happened. I wonder how that happened. The Lions will take on the Eagles, and then it's the Giants versus the Cowboys. (laughs) Oh, man. That's going to be So we got got an animal matchup, and we got a humanoid matchup, all leading to a championship that will ultimately, as all contests really are, be human versus animal. It's important to note that the it's a there's an animal in the final round inside each of these cowboys. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that's there's true. a boy around the cow, which I think. But Lao we don't Tse know if said, there might be something inside that said, cow. Mike, Mike might tell us that next. They're true. working true. out some stuff. <laughs> Russian nesting cows. <laughs> Mike Fotis and Peter Clowney. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. Well, taking a look at fencing, let's uh, let's take a look at the men's epee rankings. And no surprise, Charles Horowitz from Southern California is in first place. He's got, you know, 2,479 point total. And Robin Chung of South Texas trailing way behind at 1905, but solid second. It's really in third when uh, things really start to heat up. Thomas T.J. Pet. Petrosevich from the Gulf Coast, Wesley Yuan from New Jersey, and Jack Bradford from Colorado. Those were all lumped within about 50 points of each other down in the 1,100-point range. Never a dull moment in men's epee. Home Dunk is part of the Infinite Guest Podcast Network. 
I encourage you to go to infiniteguest.org, check out various other podcasts, my other show, my radio slash podcast show wits is located there you can find secret skin from open mike eagle you can find a tiny sense of accomplishment from sherman alexi and jess walter how to make handbags with dabney coleman that's on there uh I have found a trout with Henry Kissinger is on there. He goes around, he, he finds trouts. It's just, it's just a lot of nature sounds. And then you hear Kissinger say, I found a trout. It sounded more like Dr. Zoidberg from, from Futurama. But there it is. Go to infiniteguest.org. Check all that out. We will see you next time, Dunkaroos. I'm John Moe. Bye now.